Oh, man, it's a great day. We're going to get into the preaching of the word because uh, I want to have time at the end to continue to press in and pray for people and believe for miracles and love people and encourage people and just do the things that we do as a church. So we are in this teaching series called Because He Loves. And obviously we stole that line from the song we sang this morning, He Heals Because He Loves. And what we've been doing is looking at the doctrine of healing, and we want to be people of faith, but we also want to be people of sound doctrine. We want to make sure that everything we're praying for, everything we're believing for, that we're standing on the truth of God's word. That we don't have to go beyond God's word to give people a false hope, but that we can stand on what is true so that we can live in this day and age that we've been called to live. And so in the first message, we talked about the atonement. Everything we have from God, we have because Jesus gave his life on the cross. And that includes our intimacy with God, our restoration with God, our purposes, our victories, our breakthroughs, our healing. All of it comes through the atonement. And then last week, we looked at the kingdom of love. We looked at that healings in Jesus' day were a demonstration of the kingdom of God. But because God is love, we can call it the kingdom of love. And we learned that our priority when we're praying for people, when we're believing for miracles in our own lives, our first priority should be experiencing the love of God. Not expecting the miracle to look the way we want, when we want, how we want. But are we experiencing the love of God? And that we're not setting people up for disappointment, but we're actually ministering love into people's hearts so that they can experience the God of love. And I want to kind of maybe segue from that message to today's message by really just talking about Shannon's story. Uh, And and I know you guys have heard a lot of it. We sent an email out uh, this week because we celebrated 100 days after her surgery. But Shannon has experienced supernatural healing, right? There was a time when Shannon fell down the stairs, which was a very Shannon thing to do, um, and injured her shoulder. And then a couple weeks after that, I was out of town, and she tried to lift a trash bag that was way too heavy and really did her shoulder in, dislocated, something tore. We were going to go see the doctor, but then I discovered, due to a clerical error, my mistake, Shannon's uh, medical insurance had lapsed. So we couldn't go to the doctor because we didn't have any money. We didn't have any insurance. So I signed back up for insurance, but it was going to take like three weeks until it was activated again. So Shannon just had to endure for three weeks. Well, in the midst of those three weeks, we went to a pastor's meeting, and a pastor laid hands on her, and she was miraculously, instantaneously healed. Whatever was torn wasn't torn anymore, and her shoulder was completely whole. Hallelujah. So we believe in miraculous healing. But yet this time around, when Shannon's brain condition flared up, there was no instantaneous miraculous healing. Shannon had to walk through two years of pain and of her body slowly falling apart. We know God can. We've seen him. Don't you tell me he can't do it, just like we sang. But this time, he wasn't. Well, why? Well, we'll never fully know the answer to why until we're in eternity. But what we experienced is that through this journey, we experienced love 
in so many ways that we never would have experienced if God had just touched her and healed her. Right, It forced Shannon to join an online community of other women who had the same brain condition. And she found community in that place. And then through that community, found a surgery in Spain that we never knew about before. And then we started fundraising. And when we started fundraising, people from every city we've ever lived in came out of the woodworks and just loved us and encouraged us and sent us words and, 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 and obviously gave generously. And, and, and all of these things happened. And then we have the surgery, and the surgery was super successful. In fact, last week up in Washington, Shannon did a three-mile hike, a mile and a half up the mountain, a mile and a half back down. It was amazing. So, yes, she's healed, but it wasn't an instantaneous, miraculous healing. It was a journey of experiencing the love of God in so many amazing ways. So that was last week. Hallelujah. We're going to do part three, which will be the final part of, of this particular teaching series. And this one is titled, Already and Not Yet. Already and Not Yet. If you've got your notes, you can find them in the bulletin. They're attached to this video on our website. They're attached to the audio podcast. If you're listening to that, they're on our church app. If you will look at your notes, the first thing you will notice is I'm pretty sure I've set a new personal record. Because I have 11 bullet points with blanks, all right? I mean, I don't really keep track of these things, but I don't know. That seems pretty excessive, so this might be a record. We're going to do our best to work quickly through these 11 bullet points today. But here's our big picture point. Jesus brought the kingdom of God to earth, but we will not experience the fullness of the kingdom and all its promises until Jesus comes again. Already... And not yet. Already and not yet. There was a man named George Eldon Ladd. He was born in 1911, passed away back in the 1980s. But he was ordained as a pastor at the age of 22 years old. In his 20s and 30s, he pastored churches and in and around the northeast of the United States, but his great love was academia. He just loved to study and dig into the Word of God. So in his 20s and 30s, while he was pastoring, he also got his doctorate in theology. And at 39 years old, he moved to California in 1950 and became a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. At the time, Fuller was a brand new school. It didn't really have a reputation. Now it has this amazing reputation as a phenomenal school of the Bible. And George Eldon Ladd had a lot to do with that. From 1950 until he retired, he worked at Fuller Seminary. In 1974, eight years before he died, he published the most significant work of his life. It was called, simply enough, A Theology of the New Testament. Evangelical scholars today voted it the second most influential book on theology ever written. I think number one was written by Calvin, and we're not Calvinistic. So we're just going to call this one number one. They called it the most influential book on theology ever written. It was in this book, A Theology of the New Testament, that Ladd coined the phrase, already and not yet. It was his teaching on the kingdom 
that really honestly reflects our heart as a church and what we believe about the kingdom of God and that we want to live in this tension of already and not yet. Right? Remember, in Hebrew thinking, it doesn't have to be either or. We can live in the tension and the balance of both, already and not yet. So that's what we're going to get into today. The kingdom of God already refers to the rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of individual believers. The rule and reign of God in the hearts and lives of individual believers, which means every time somebody else surrenders their heart to God, the kingdom is expanded, right? And so the kingdom is advancing. The more people surrender their hearts to the rule and reign of God, the more the kingdom of God advances. The kingdom is already here. It's ruling and reigning in our hearts. And what I want to do is I want to look at Mark chapter 1 because uh, this never really jumped out at me before until I started studying this, that Mark chapter 1 is like a treatise on the kingdom of God, right? Mark is the shortest of all the gospels. It, It tells the story at a much brisker pace than any of the other gospels do, and yet just in chapter 1 alone... God was just opening up to me this picture of the kingdom of God as Jesus brought it to the earth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read Mark chapter 1, and by the time we're done reading Mark chapter 1, we're going to fill in all 11 blanks in your notes. The blanks in your notes are broken up into two categories. One category is kingdom response. That means how do we respond to the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand? It's already here. How do we respond to it? And I'm going to give you five things. And then the other one is the kingdom reward. What is the supernatural reality that we live in because we are in the kingdom of God? And I'm going to give you six of those. Five responses, six rewards, all from Mark telling the story of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Are you guys ready? Let's go after this. Here we go. We're starting in verse 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. Jesus was announcing himself on the scene. You've been waiting for a Messiah. God's been promising a Messiah. Well, the time is now fulfilled. The Messiah is here. And because I am here, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? So Jesus' first ever preaching message, his first ever declaration is, I have brought the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. Right, So that's what we're looking at here is that we believe that when Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom with him. And when he died on the cross and rose again, he paid the price so that we could become a part of the kingdom of God. And we can live in the realities that Jesus demonstrated for us. So let's talk about kingdom response. Let me give you your first two blanks. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here, so repent and believe. So our first kingdom response is repentance. Every time we come face to face with the reality of the kingdom of God, it should cause our hearts to bow before him. And it should cause us to forsake and turn away from anything that is not a part of his kingdom. 
any sin, any part of our carnal nature, any of our selfish desires that are not a part of his kingdom, any of it, we forsake it, we turn away from it. That is repentance. So I want to encourage you today in this kingdom response. Every time you come face to face with the reality of the kingdom, it should turn our hearts to repentance. Amen? Repent and believe. And so you can write believe in that second blank or you can write faith. Jesus said, believe in the gospel. Come on, everything we have in the kingdom starts from a place of faith. Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe he was God in the flesh? Do I believe that he brought the kingdom to earth? Do I believe that he paid the price for my sins? Do I believe that he rose from the dead so that we can share in the same resurrection life that he has? Do I believe it? We could think of the father whose son, because of demonic oppression, kept falling into convulsions. And Jesus said, do you not believe that I could heal him? And the father said, I believe, but Lord, help me with my unbelief. Right, come on, a lot of times we can say, yeah, I believe in the concepts, but I don't really believe that it can impact my life. I believe it's a wonderful idea but I don't really believe that I'm going to see the power at work right here. I believe, Lord, but help me with my unbelief. Listen, there is no denying from reading the New Testament that there is a connection between faith and healing. Again, though, I don't want to step into triumphalism that makes you feel like if you're not getting the miracle the way you want it, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is a lie from the enemy that just wants to keep you in bondage. But we can't deny that there is a connection between faith and healing. But Jesus said your faith only has to be the size of a mustard seed. Right? It doesn't have to be that big. If you've got enough faith to trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life, then you've got plenty of faith to be healed also. So don't think that this is a matter of you failing and needing to put in more work to have more faith. That's not what this is. You got a mustard seed. You got enough. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Help me believe this thing that it's personal in my life, that I can see it. I believe. Repent and believe. Let's continue on here. We're in verse 16 now. And he was going along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And so our third kingdom response is obedience. Jesus said, follow me. And so if we, understanding the reality of the kingdom of God, will walk in obedience to Jesus, right? What was Jesus' definition of discipleship? In Matthew 28, he said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. That was his definition of discipleship. 
that people would know how to obey Jesus. In the Gospel of John, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is obedience. And so when we recognize the reality of the kingdom of God, it is a recognition that we are going to walk in obedience to Jesus. We're going to follow him. We're going to do what he said. We're going to live the way he lived. We're going to do the things that he called us to do. We're going to walk in obedience, which then leads us to our first kingdom reward. So now you got to write this in the other column, and that is purpose. Purpose. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus said, be obedient to me, and in my kingdom, I'm going to give you a purpose, and I'm going to equip you for that purpose. You're going to change the world. Come on, the first reward of being people of the kingdom is living with a purpose that is greater than ourselves. We're going to change lives. We're going to change the world. We're going to change people. We're going to change destinies because we walked in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2.10, right? It's right out there in the hallway. You are my masterpieces. I have created you in Christ Jesus to do the good things I prepared for you long ago. He's got a purpose for you. It's purpose. His purpose is good. We all have a universal purpose. We all have the same purpose, which is to be disciples who will make more disciples. But we also all have a unique purpose things that only we can do, things that God designed us just right with our personality and our experience and our traits and our spiritual gifts, unique things that God intended just for us to do. When you walk in the kingdom, you find purpose. Continuing, verse 21, they went into Capernaum and immediately, you notice that's the most common word in the gospel of Mark? I told you it was a brisk storytelling because he keeps using the word immediately. He keeps the story moving. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So this is our kingdom reward. This goes in your right-hand column. When we live in the kingdom, we have authority. Right When Jesus taught, now think about the scribes of that day. They weren't called scribes simply because they copied the Bible. They were called scribes because they were teachers of the Bible. They, they, they studied the word. They knew the word. But in those days when a scribe taught, his authority was derived from the school that he came from. And so the scribes didn't teach with their own authority. They taught my rabbi so-and-so said this, and his rabbi so-and-so said that. And so their, their teaching was derived from the lineage of the school that they were a part of. And now Jesus shows up, and he doesn't talk about rabbi this or rabbi that. He just declares the truth as it is, and people are amazed. We've never heard anybody teach with their own authority. He doesn't have to call on anybody else's name. He's got his own. Jesus brought kingdom authority with him. And we can live in that same authority because Jesus said to his disciples, I am giving you the keys to the kingdom, keys being symbolic of authority. Jesus said, I'm going to give you kingdom authority. 
And so we don't have to quote so-and-so and this and that. And, you know, I, I like to give quotes from other theologians just so you guys understand the vein that we're in when we're teaching. But that's not where the authority is derived from. The authority is derived from the fact that I live surrendered and submitted to King Jesus. And in his kingdom, God has given me authority because I am in alignment with him. Come on. Verse 23. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. Immediately, the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So our next kingdom reward in your right-hand column is victory. Right? When Jesus brought the kingdom, he brought victory over unclean spirits. The people were amazed. Unclean spirits listened to him. And so we can walk in this victory. Listen, this is awesome. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. When you are in the kingdom of God, you are victorious over the kingdom of Satan. In fact, you have been rescued out of the kingdom of Satan. And the kingdom of Satan no longer has any right or authority in your life. The demons must bow. Come on. God is the God of spiritual breakthrough. Right, that's one of his names in the Old Testament. He is the one who breaks through. When we walk in the kingdom, we have access to victory. All right, well, I'm excited. I don't know if you guys are, but hallelujah. Verse 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Come on, our kingdom reward is healing. He healed many. And we've been teaching this for the last three weeks so I don't think I need to spend too much time on this other than just to declare there is healing in the kingdom. Right? Psalms 107.20, he sent his word and healed them. Psalm 147, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There is healing in the kingdom of God. And when we walk in the kingdom, we can see it. Right? Jesus demonstrated the kingdom and he demonstrated the love of God through healing. Continuing on, verse 35, after this all-night 
prayer meeting where he's healing people, it says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. So our kingdom response on your left-hand column is prayer. When we recognize that the kingdom of God is a reality in our lives, we respond by praying. We cry out to God. We ask God to move. We ask for his kingdom to come so that those things that are done in heaven will be done on earth. We pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. But then there's also a kingdom reward, and that reward is intimacy. Intimacy. Because we are in the kingdom, we have an intimacy with God the Father. Jesus went away to a secluded place because he wanted to be alone with the Father. Jesus declared in the Gospel of John, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. Everything in Jesus' ministry was birthed out of an intimacy with the Father. And so everything we experience in the kingdom, everything we do in this kingdom life, should also be birthed out of intimacy with the Father. We abide with him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So abide with me. Spend time with me. Draw close to me. Come on, we can have intimacy with God. We got to keep going here. I'm almost out of time. Simon and his companions searched for him. Right? All right, Jesus, that's enough secluded time. You've had enough quiet time. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. Right? Jesus had set up his headquarters in Capernaum. And revival was breaking out in Capernaum. People are getting healed. Demons are getting cast out. And, and the disciples are like, Jesus, let's set up camp here. The crowds are growing. Let's just keep healing people. And Jesus said, no, I want to go to the next town. And the next town. In your notes, the kingdom reward is advancements. The kingdom is always advancing. Jesus said, no, I don't want to just stay in one place, for I was called to continue bringing the kingdom forward. Jesus said the kingdom of God is advancing. The violent are trying to take it by force. There is a spiritual violence that is taking place. There is spiritual warfare that is happening as we step forward, as we are a part of the advancement of the kingdom of God. As I told you earlier, every person we share the gospel with, every person we see set free from demonic oppression, every person we love into the kingdom, every person that gives their life to Jesus, we are advancing. We are advancing. And last one, right? If you're doing it right, you should only have one blank left in your notes. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, guess what word that is? Splonk nizomai. 
Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Our final kingdom response in your left-hand column is pursuits. You've got to understand that leprosy in those days had no cure. It was highly contagious. They had to keep it away from society. So anytime anybody was diagnosed with leprosy, they had to move out into isolated camps, and they had to live shunned away from their family, away from their relationships. They had to stay away from people. When they walked through town and came near anybody, they would just have to call out, unclean, unclean, and people would scatter from them. That was the life of a leper. And yet this leper, who was not allowed to get close to anybody, especially crowds, who was not allowed to touch anybody, who was isolated from relationship, when he heard that the kingdom of God was at hand, what did he do? He broke every rule and drew close to Jesus, fell at his feet and said, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus healed him. Come on, our response to the kingdom should be to break through any tradition or religiosity or cultural norms or expectations, but to throw all those things aside and say, I just want Jesus, and I'm going to pursue him, and I just want to be close to him. Our kingdom response is pursuit. Amen? Amen. So if we did this right, Karen, it's going to look like this. Sorry, you can't see this on the live stream. Kingdom response. How do we respond to the reality of the kingdom? We repent, we believe, we live in obedience, we pray, and we pursue. We do those five things because the kingdom is real. And while we do those five things, we experience purpose and authority and victory and healing and intimacy and advancements. Come on. Woo. That is the kingdom of God already. It's at hand. It's here. But the kingdom of God is also not yet. What does that mean? It means that Jesus will reign as king of kings in the new earth where we will live for all eternity with the fulfillment of all the promises of God. So the promises of triumphalism that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that we always get healed and we always get blessed and we always get the breakthrough and we never experience pain, all of that is a description of heaven. It's the kingdom, but it's not yet. We don't get all of that all at once. It's not yet. And let's just break this down scripturally in just the few minutes I have left. Revelation eleven fifteen. Now, my best understanding of Revelation, because Revelation is hard to understand, but my best understanding is that from chapter 4 to chapter 11, it's fairly chronological, right? There's seals and there's trumpets, like seals on a book, not like animals barking, okay? Um, there's seals and there's trumpets and there's all of these things that are happening chronologically through chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, it breaks away from chronology and gets super symbolic, 
All right, that's my best understanding. So that means the end of chapter 11 is the end of the chronology. Well, what is the end of chapter 11? What is the seventh angel blowing the trumpets? It says there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. That is the kingdom, not yet. It hasn't happened yet. It will happen at the end of time when Jesus comes and makes earth perfect again, and we're going to live for all eternity under his kingship. That is the kingdom, not yet. What does that look like in practical application? Well, I love looking at the, the uh, book of Hebrews chapter 11. This book is famous for being the chapter of faith. It's the hall of fame of faith. It lists people in the Old Testament and people in the New Testament that were heroes of the faith. In verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Right? So we have to have faith. There's, there's no other place to start from faith. But then it lists some of the original patriarchs, the original people of faith, Noah, Abraham, Sarah. But then it says this about them. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And if indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Right? God called these individuals out of their homelands. Noah was called away from his home to go live in a boat while everybody else died. Abraham was called to leave his homeland and to go live as a vagrant in a land he did not know. And the writer of Hebrews is saying if they had wanted to go back, they had every opportunity to go back. But they envisioned something greater. But that something greater they didn't experience in this life. They saw it at a distance, but they hadn't received it yet. But they had faith that God was preparing a city for them. We know now that that city is the new Jerusalem that's spoken of at the end of the book of Revelation. It is eternity, but they died not having received the promise. Then if we skip all the way down to verse 39, after it talks about the heroes of the New Testament, those who stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of the sword and escaped persecution, and then those who were murdered and tortured and persecuted, those who wandered around destitute, all of them were heroes of the faith in the New Testament. And the writer says, and all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. These were the heroes of the faith. And they did not receive everything that was promised. That's the kingdom not yet. So we live in the kingdom reality, and we have the promises of God, but there is also a kingdom not yet, because we don't get every promise in this life. It doesn't all work out for us. We live in this corruptible flesh. We don't have time to read 1 Corinthians 15, but Paul talked about 
We live in broken flesh. And as long as we live in broken flesh, we will never experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. Right? Because technically, like it's all available, the healings, the miracles, the victories, the intimacy, it's all available, but we don't ever experience all of it because we still live in this brokenness of this corruptible flesh. But Paul said, when we die, the corruptible is thrown off and we are resurrected in Jesus in incorruptible flesh and then we can experience all of it. Daily, we are dying. Paul said, my body's wasting away every day, right? My body is shaped differently in my 40s than it was in my 20s. It's wasting away. I'm not as fast. I'm not as strong. I'm not as explosive. I don't have as much energy because daily it's wasting away. But Paul said, inwardly, I'm being renewed every day. We live in broken flesh. And as long as we live in broken flesh, we will never experience the fullness. Not yet. The kingdom of God is already and not yet. Let me read you a couple of quotes and then let me just have the worship team come back now. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, he wrote it like this. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Come on. We're on the road. We're in the kingdom. We're experiencing it, but not all of it yet. But take heart, you're on the right road. Sam Storms, who I've quoted before, he was a pastor and a theologian at a church in Oklahoma City. He's now retired, but, uh, uh, but a great teacher. He says this, we are forgiven of our sins now because of Christ's atoning death. But we await the consummation of our deliverance from the presence of sin when Christ returns. We experience fellowship with God now because of Christ's atoning death, but we await the consummation of that blessed relationship when Christ returns. You guys got it? We have it now, but we're still waiting for the fullness. He goes on to say, in other words, it is a serious mistake for us to think that every blessing Christ secured through his redemptive suffering will be ours now. That's a mistake. All such blessings shall indeed be ours. Let there be no mistake about that. But let us not expect far less demand that we now experience fully those blessings which God has clearly reserved for heaven in the age to come. I'm out of time, Karen, so let's just put that slide back up there that just shows all of our points. The kingdom already and the kingdom not yet. So what do we do with this? How do we live in this balance? Well, we just keep doing those five things over and over again. Every day, day after day, we repent, we believe, we are obedient, we pray, we pursue. We just keep doing that over and over again. And the more we do that, the more we'll experience purpose and authority and victory and healing and intimacy and advancement. And we won't experience all of it, but we'll experience a lot of it. 
and we just keep pressing in and we just keep believing and we just keep praying and we just keep being obedient to do the things that we're supposed to do and we just keep pursuing like the woman who grabbed the hem of Jesus' robe and said if I could just grab the hem of his robe, I would experience his healing power. Come on, we would pursue and we would see all of these kingdom rewards manifesting in our lives. We won't get everything, but we'll get a lot more than we will sitting around doing nothing. So my last thought is this. We'll never receive 100% of the miracles we pray for, but we'll receive 0% of the ones we don't pray for. So we're just going to keep doing those five things over and over again. Just keep pressing in, day in, day out. We're going to keep responding to the kingdom of God. And in the end, we're going to see more and more of the supernatural reward of the kingdom. Are you guys with me? Come on, let's stand together. We're going to continue to do what we've been doing in this series, which is we're going to worship first. We're going to sing a song of faith. And then we're going to call the altar ministry forward, and we're going to pray for miracles. And we're going to believe for what God has for us today. Amen? Come on, let's declare in faith, he is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. Hallelujah. Thank you.